Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Layla. She's been dealing with Hashimoto's, Lyme, and Crohn's disease for many years. Her days often revolved around meal prep, organizing her many supplements, seeing her practitioners, and just managing her symptoms. She hasn't felt well for so long, she almost forgot what it's like to just live. She felt like every day was a repeat of the last, and nothing was really working. She was just trying to stay afloat. When she came to see me, I saw how disconnected she was on all fronts. While much of her biochemistry was already getting addressed, I saw many other missing pieces in other areas of her life, and I knew we needed to look there to solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Layla's struggles. Joining me on the show today to talk much more about this is Sarah Catherine. She's a self-discovery coach. She's a podcast host for Be Your Own Badass, and she's the author of your self-discovery journal, I'm Awesome, Here's Why, and Be Happy, Be Calm, Be You. Sarah's mission is to help women achieve their goals without letting people-pleasing or perfectionism get in their way so that they can really create a life that they truly love. Sarah, I'm so excited to have you on. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So I think that by this point, many people know that getting to the root of health issues, especially chronic and mysterious ones, is really not a one-directional approach, but it's really quite multifaceted. We really have to address it from all angles. And while, of course, biochemistry is important, it's just one part. And there's so many areas that also play a large role. Now, one of those roles, I think, is really connecting with yourself and discovering your true self. But I also know that that's not always easy and people don't always know what it is or what to do, which is why I'm so excited to pick your brain today. So what does self-discovery really mean? So self-discovery, I like to say, is understanding who you are, what you want, and everything in between. And ultimately, it's you truly understanding what 
makes you you. And I know that sounds kind of, you know, self-discovery, that sounds kind of self-explanatory, but at the same time, there's a bunch of different ways that you can go about this. But ultimately, the goal of being in tune with who you are, your values, what motivates you, your passions, all of those things that make you the wonderful person that you are. And the more that you're in tune with that, the more you'll be able to take action in your life. And that creates a life that feels good for you, that feels authentic for you. Whether you have the health struggles going on, you have other issues going on in your life, you can always tune into what's important to you and what makes you you and remind you that you can do this, you can handle this and be able to take action that fits with you because, you know, it's not a one size fits all for mindset work or for other types of work. And having that understanding of you and who you are will just help you even further throughout that journey. You know, I think for so many people, including Layla, you know, when we're dealing with health issues, we become so focused on the symptoms and we connect to them that we often disconnect from other areas, right? We can disconnect from certain parts of the body. Sometimes if certain things hurt, we almost like make them, you know, try to not think about them and put them away, right? So we disconnect from that, but we also sometimes can disconnect from other things like our desires and other things in life because our focus is to feel better, which makes sense, right? And it's understandable, but it's about kind of everything together, right? Not just one thing. Yeah, definitely. And having that practice of continually checking in with yourself and doing that mindset work will help you immensely when it comes to the constant focus of the symptoms. Or, I mean, I... I haven't personally gone through some chronic illness, but I have people close to me in my life who have, and they've dealt with like mold toxicity or other issues with themselves. And they, it becomes all consuming if they're not careful. So being able to tap into, you know, what makes you, you again will help you not only focus on those symptoms or what your day-to-day issues are, but help remind you that you're more than just what you're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, great reminder. Now, when people think about self-discovery and you know they think about really getting to know themselves better, that sometimes can be a very daunting task, right? Because we all have stories. We all come with mm-hmm baggage, if I may say, right? We have the (laughs) past. There's all of these things. And, you know, there's a lot of obviously different techniques. And of course, people could turn to therapy. But what I love in your journal is that you actually give people prompts and you have them sort of think about it almost like one step or one area at a time. And so what I wanted to talk about is If someone is interested at getting started, where would be a good place to start? You're you're right. It can be a very daunting task. Um, And it sounds like a big thing to be like, oh, get to know myself. What is, where do I even start? So that's a great question. The piece that I recommend, one one small step, like a, a nugget that you can start with if you're intimidated by all of this is what I like to say is just start practicing tuning in to your intuition and like doing a gut check, if it makes sense, to just kind of hold space and check into how you're feeling about something. Because you might not be noticing what you actually want or how you're actually feeling outside of what you might be dealing with on a day-to-day basis because our mind can 
start racing and going off and taking over and our thoughts can start taking over. But if you do those, take that, make that space for yourself to be able to kind of check in and see how you really feel and what your, um, there's, there's a book that I absolutely adore called playing big by Tara Moore. And she goes into the concept of not just your inner critic, which we most of us, I'm assuming, will all know and understand, but your inner mentor. And that's pretty much the opposite of the inner critic. So it's the part of you that understands you and wants the best for you and has the best results for you in mind. So being able to take that time to be able to create that space, even if it's just taking five minutes in your morning to sit in silence and kind of check in or do a journal prompt or just write something down. Or I like to help my clients with doing a life audit to kind of scan through what they're going through on the day-to-day basis. Or of course, do one prompt in my book. It'll take less than five minutes most of the time. So being able to take that space and practice checking into how you're feeling about a certain situation, that's an excellent first step to just start reconnecting with yourself again. That's great. So now with checking in, because again, I think this sounds very simple, but I think I beg to differ. <laughs> and I think a lot of people would as well. So, you know, an intuition, I think it's just, uh, you know, there's so much there. And there are some people that I think are just very in tune and they sort of know But then there's others, and I think I'm kind of there or I've been there, where we check in and then I wonder sometimes, and I know a lot of people wonder, is it intuition or is it maybe what we're fearing or what we're not wanting to happen? So how do you know and how do you know like what's a gut feeling and what's maybe this potential fear? Yeah, that's an excellent question because I've been in that boat too. I've had moments where my anxieties are just like taking over, so I don't know if if what I'm thinking is, you know, out of fear or necessarily in my best interest from that inner mentor, you know, I would say one way that you can do this is by really checking into like how the reaction or the response or that thought actually makes you feel. Cause like at the end of the day, if there is like a sense of calm around this decision, around this thought, and you know, there's this inner peace that comes with that. It's, more likely that that's coming from your inner mentor rather than a place of fear. And if something else is causing you more anxiety, causing you more just like uncertainty, you just don't, you don't really feel connected with it fully. Then, and and again, this takes practice. This isn't something that necessarily is everyone can do just right now and understand it takes practice to sift through those thoughts and emotions to start recognizing what does feel good what is more from 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 a place of fear and having that practice of noticing your response and just your emotional reaction to it if that makes sense can help you point you in that right direction and practices like meditation can be extremely helpful like guided meditation i know it's not for everyone but if it's something that you're curious about or that works well for you it is something that'll help you sift through those thought processes and what's coming from a good place rather than a more anxious and fearful place now would it also be helpful to look at which feeling comes first i've also heard some people say that usually intuition is something that is like the first thing that you feel and then the fear would come after. And then I've also heard the opposite. Do you have any thought on that? Honestly, I have both of those responses. (laughs) 
this. Because <laughs> for, I would say, when I was personally dealing with the worst of my um, anxiety, the first response was out of the place of fear. And sometimes, like, honestly, might say that the first response is out of fear a lot of the times, especially if it's something that's outside of your comfort zone or something that you're dealing with that is in general scary. Like, for example, I might have something at work and it's like a new project of some sort and my initial gut reaction might be, oh God, I don't want to do that. I can't handle it. But then if I take a moment and I kind of just like think about it or just like tune in a little bit about what it might be good for me for or what it might be benefiting or the actual result that comes from it, then I can take more of a positive response and a more intuitive response if it's actually in line with what works well for me or not. Yeah. Well, and I think like you said too, it's a, it's a practice. So it's probably not going to come instantly if someone is just starting, but it's giving yourself that five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I bet that if people start probably within a couple of weeks, they'll start to notice things more and more, you know, as they get into the practice. Yes, definitely. Now you have a whole section in your book dedicated to prompts about self-love, self-care, confidence, and those are all really important things when we're dealing with health issues. So when we talk about self-care, you know, I think that most people say, yeah, I know self-care, you know, it's getting a massage or things like that, but it's a little bit more than that or a lot more than that. So can you talk about what self-care means to you and how people can use that to help optimize their health and to help them to deal with their ailments. Yes. So for me, self-care, you know, those those things like take a bubble bath or, you know, get a massage, those are great forms and acts of self-care, but self-care overall, and this is where self-discovery comes into play with it, is tuning into what fills your, like what helps fill, you can say fill your cup, you know, what helps you recharge your batteries, recharge maybe your social batteries, your energy batteries, just whatever might have been depleted in some way or might need some extra attention, some extra care and love, doing something that helps enriches that whatever you need to refill, if that makes sense. So for me personally, like if I, I, I am an introvert, I, my social battery gets drained the more I hang out and talk with other people. So I personally know that an act of self-care for myself is to schedule some time where I'm not interacting with a lot of people. And whether that's, you know, being productive and doing other things or doing absolutely nothing, it, that's where that understanding what works well for you, that self-discovery portion comes into play. So really paying attention to what works well for you in that way, as well as what helps fill that energetic depletion that you might be experiencing. But also on a level of maintenance, because you can't just do go, 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 go and not pay attention to these things and only practice self-care when those batteries have depleted, but also being aware of what you can do like on a either a daily basis or a weekly basis to make sure that you're taking care of yourself along the way in those ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, really important because I think so many of us say, oh, I'm really busy. I'm going to keep going. But when I feel bad, then I'm going to get a massage, right? Or then I'm going to sit or then I'm going to meditate. So, and I've been there myself as well. So that's a really important point that we really want to put in that time. And it could be as little as five minutes, right? If that's all people have, but it's just something. I know for me, sleep isn't very not negotiable thing. Like If I don't sleep, I don't feel well. Mm-hmm. So I, it may not seem like a self-care thing, but I almost put it as a self-care. It's just one of those things that 
that I have to go to bed at a certain time. And I used to feel bad about it for a while, especially when I was younger. Like, I don't want to go to bed at 10. Like, I should be doing this or that, or I'd rather be doing this or that, you know? And there was all these excuses and just all of these things where I didn't want to do that. But now it's like, no, this is just what I do. I go to bed early because uh, I don't always have the luxury to sleep in with little kids. So it's like, we go to bed by this time and that's just what it is. For for me personally, I know that even just something as small as just like having coffee in the morning, like it's that little, the, the little things, those little habits that before I work, I know I need, to, before I start my work day, I know I need to like have my coffee, eat something and just spend a little bit of time for myself before diving into work. Because after 2020, we started working from home and now that's permanent for us. And it was a big shift because I was in the office every day. And I found myself, you know, getting up like five minutes before work and just bringing the laptop over to the bed <laughs> and just like turning it on, you know, and not having any routine, not having space in between like coming to terms with being awake <laughs> and then starting my job. So having that understanding that I need that routine ahead of time, and it doesn't have to be this elaborate morning routine, like you probably see on TikTok or YouTube or something like that. It's literally just like, even as little as waking up, making coffee, having even a small breakfast and just taking like 10 minutes to have that time with myself helps take care of my self-care on a daily basis. So I know that I'll be able to go through work and not feel absolutely exhausted by the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Having that time, yeah, eating something and then yeah, drinking something warm. Um, a lot of my listeners are typically staying away from coffee, but maybe they could do tea, right? Or some type right. of a hot cocoa, yes. but that's definitely important. Now, how is self-care different from self-love? Because sometimes people could say, well, you know, if I take care of myself, that means I love myself, but there's more to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I'd say that self-care is an act of self-love. So um, self-care helps you cultivate that self-love. You know, I think self-care is more of the verb and self-love is something that you would grow and cultivate throughout it. Um, so being able to take care of yourself and understand yourself throughout the process, it helps you be kinder to yourself and appreciate different pieces about you um, that helps bring that self-love into your life. Does self-love also have to do with the inner critic versus the inner mentor, just because I know a lot of us have much more of the critic, that, or we have the mentor, but we don't always listen to the mentor. And so you know, it's a lot of times we say things to ourselves that are just not very nice. So is that part of it also just switching that or, or being mindful of that? Yes, definitely. And actually, this is something that um, I have a membership program, a self-discovery membership program. This is a theme that we're talking about this month. Um, and it's specifically about self-compassion, which is very similar to self-love and self-care, but being kind to yourself in that way and being compassionate to yourself will help you release those clawed in almost thoughts that those inner critic is like latching onto, you know, or if you, I mean, a lot of my students are perfectionists or people pleasers, inner critics are, is a big piece of that because you're constantly not living up to your own expectations in some way, or maybe in, in um, your client's situation, maybe like their health journey isn't going as smoothly as they expected or their healing journey isn't quite as linear as they expected because mm -hmm. it's not. Yeah, it never does. <laughs> and so having that being hard on yourself or hard on your body, that that critic focusing on those things, the more you 
are able to practice that self-care, cultivate that self-love, that self-compassion, the more your inner critic isn't going to feel as important, you know, because then you'll be like, you know, it's okay. That, that inner mentor will be able to come out and be like, it's okay. You know, you'll be a lot more kinder to yourself and to your body throughout that process. And it'll just help lessen the harshness and the, the critique that you likely have on yourself throughout those processes. And how does this critique, the harshness, the negative words that you say to yourself, how does that physically affect you, especially if you're dealing with health issues? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're you're probably a little bit more of an expert on that one, but that can cultivate in like stress and anything physical that can come from stress. So first, personally, for me, I know like my digestive system definitely gets affected when I'm extremely stressed or I'll be even more tired. My energy gets depleted. It's just the more I focus on the negative, the, the worse that I feel. It really does resonate within your body in certain ways that you might not even expect because also that's just the more that I'm focusing on the negative in that way, the more the critic is focused on what's going wrong, the less chance that I have to actually want to do anything good for my body. You know, the less chance I'm probably going to go on my walks during work to take a break or get enough sleep because I'm up thinking and stressed about what's going wrong. It, it just has a compounding effect on your body that you may not be aware of at the time, but it definitely can develop in different ways. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You know, I think a lot of times, and I know this is a known phrase, but I don't think we think about it, like exactly what it means. But you know how people say that the body hears everything the mind says. I think that's how, or that may be a few variations, but but along the lines of that, like your body feels everything that your mind thinks. Mm. And as much as we sort of quote unquote know this, we don't actually really think about it or, or put it in practice. So and sometimes those thoughts, they're so quick and so fleeting, right? Like, you know, people sometimes be like, oh yeah, I'm feeling really fat today. And it's like, okay, like they're just probably, I mean, they're not joking, but they're sort of partly joking, right? When they say that, but it's like the brain then hears fat, right? And then that creates its own stress and and all of the cortisol issues that you mentioned and then like that physical response. And there's many worse things that we say to ourselves even than that. But I think it's like, it's so quick, right? That sometimes we don't even realize we do it. Mm -hmm. So it's so important for people to, to kind of take inventory of that and just kind of mind their mind, so to speak. Now, what about confidence? Because that's something else that you talk about. And that's something that I think it's easier for some people than others. And, you know, when we're dealing with chronic health issues in, in Layla's case, you know, she had Lyme, she had Crohn's, she had Hashimoto's, so many things. And there's so many symptoms and she was so like in it every day, right? Because it's all about just managing those symptoms and dealing what's happening and like getting through the day. How do you practice having confidence, right? Or how do you gain confidence when you're kind of in it? I like to say that confidence is more of a muscle rather than like a state of being, you know, because it's not something that's going to be absolutely consistent every single day. It's just if you have that high expectation on yourself to feel confident every single day, you're that it's 
you're setting yourself up. Unfortunately, setting yourself up for failure probably because not even the most successful people in this world feel confident every single day. I know I don't feel confident every single day. And it's more about, it's kind of like, it's it's kind of similar to self-care. It's that ongoing, you know, it's the little things that can help build that confidence over time. And, and something that I think is actually a very effective, just because we've been talking about it so much in this episode, a very effective form to build your confidence is actually that self-care and that self compassion, you know, and because the more that you are taking care of yourself, like mentally, or maybe you're, you're being kind to your body, you're speaking to it in, in a much more positive and loving way, or you're being more compassionate about the fact that a healing journey isn't linear and you're being more aware of that. Um, the more con, the more, the better you'll feel about yourself. And, and through that, you'll be able to build more confidence. And of course, there's other, other types of exercises that you can actively do, such as, you know, affirmations are an, ex- are an exceptionally powerful tool to help remind, like train your, mind to think on the more positive end and, and daily gratitude. Even I have a, I do part of my morning routine is working on this little five minute gratitude journal that just has guided prompts of like, this is my focus on for the day. This is an affirmation. These are all the things I'm thankful for. And every morning it puts me in that mindset to feel good about, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on today. And this is also what I'm grateful for when it, even in the most challenging days, it encourages me to think positively, you know, and that being able to do that more often helps me feel a lot better about myself and helps me feel more confident as myself as a whole. Yeah. Well, I love what you're saying that you can build confidence from self-care and self-love because that's not something I would have thought of off the bat. And I think a lot of people probably wouldn't think of it that way. You know, affirmations, I definitely can kind of understand logically like, oh, well, you say these positive things, you feel more confident, right? right? (laughs) But you're so right, right? Like when you're taking care of yourself and you're giving yourself self-love and you're doing the things that you know your body needs, well, then you're kind of there for yourself. So then you're more confident about you, right? And then that grows into everything else. That makes so much sense. With gratitude, and that's something that I think is so important as well. I do a gratitude practice too, and I recommend that to all of my clients. And with that, I know you mentioned that it helps you to think more positively. Um, Now, what about though, if you're just really having a bad day? And, you know, let's just say you're just in the down part of your symptoms, right? And so things are really acting up. Sometimes it may be hard to get out of bed. And, you know, you may have a full day of stuff and you literally just can't even do that because you're not feeling well. When people feel down, I often hear them say, well, I don't feel like I have anything to be grateful for, right? Or like, I can't even think about that. How can they still practice it or what can they focus on in terms of gratitude to help them then? Yeah, because it can be, it's, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, just just think of three things at the end of the day because sometimes you might not be able to, you know? I would say for that, if, if you are dealing with the tough days, just... Honestly, even even letting yourself don't don't be hard on yourself as as much as you can, like to have feel bad sometimes. You know, it, it it's it's human, it's natural, and sometimes it can be cathartic to just let yourself feel on certain days. And sometimes if you are able to just process some emotions on the harder days, you'll be able to kind of sift through it rather than pushing it down and be able to focus on, okay, that, okay, maybe I feel a little bit better now. Maybe I feel a little lighter the next day, you know? And, and then if not, even just taking those small moments, even just like dialing it back on the simplest levels of I'm thankful for, like, if you can't get out of bed today, I'm thankful I have a bed. 
You know, it's just, I'm thankful that I'm, I'm here today. I'm thankful I have a phone to scroll on Instagram for. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. It doesn't have to be monumental because even just have, even just naming one small, simple thing like daylight, being able to see daylight, you know, having the light on like the sun on my skin, just walking outside. If you're able to do that, it can, it can help you also create that appreciation for the little things that do add up to a lot of big things. Cause really it's a Coleman, your daily habits and, and your emotions and gratitude, all, everything that we've been talking about, you can do all these big practices. You can do big things, but it's really about the culmination of the smaller habits that you integrate into your daily life, even starting on such a simple level of gratitude of just what even exists right now in your situation. And then also people do that and they're able to sort of feel where they are, like you mentioned, where they just sit with it. And sometimes it doesn't feel good because you don't feel well, right? But you just sit with it anyway, even for it's for a minute or two, right? And your body will shift. Then possibly the next day, our gratitude could be, hey, I was able to sit with it and now I feel better, right? Yeah. Every small thing counts. Now for a lot of people, including Layla, when they are dealing with so many different health issues, eventually, right, they find help, hopefully, you know, an integrative or a functional medicine practitioner, someone who is able to look at things from different angles, and they start to feel better. But what I often see is because people get so into what they're dealing with and they get so disconnected from their body, when they do start to feel better, sometimes they almost don't know who they are because they know themselves as this sick person, right? Now they're feeling better, but in a way I find that there's almost like a sabotage that can happen because they still think of themselves as being sick because that's what they know or that's what they remember. So what are some things that people can do to help to see sort of the light and see the other side, right? Or almost like match where they are and their current symptoms to who they believe that they are. Something that can help whether, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes if you're experiencing similar things like Layla, that becomes, almost becomes your identity. It's easy to just, that's, it's so much of your life that it becomes mentally a part of who you are. And so shifting away from that because your health is improving, your situation is improving, it's tough, you know, because you've been so stuck in this cycle of your day-to-day is starting to change. And even if it's for the better, for the positive, it's still scary. It's different. You know, growth is challenging in, in different ways. So having that openness first to be able to reconnect with pretty much what we were talking about at the beginning, reconnecting with who you are outside of these symptoms that you've been experiencing. Taking that time, whether you, my favorite yoga teacher on YouTube is Yoga with Adrienne. She always says, follow what feels good. And while she's talking about yoga in those moments, also it's something that I like to apply for self-discovery because it's noticing what's bringing you that spark of joy or, or passion or purpose. And this is a chapter in the book, actually about purposes and passion. And it's really understanding and getting to know once again, like, oh, I really liked this book, or I really liked watching this show, or I felt good going for a walk, or this person made me feel good. It's just noticing those things that sparked joy, even in the smallest amount, and then exploring that even further. 
being able to take your focus away from what you've been focusing on so much. Of course, you're mindful of it and you're appreciative that you've been able to to grow in this way and, and to heal, but also looking forward rather than looking back quite as much and doing small things that can help you reconnect with who you are and what you want in that way. Yeah. And I love that chapter with looking at purpose and passion. I mean, I know that's such a, a bigger thing. You know, it's not just a one prompt thing. Oh, this is my purpose, right? Yeah. But <laughs> as you said, when we're dealing with something we're so in it and then we're not, we almost forget that we had other passions, right? Because our passion was almost our, our sickness, right? Because that's all that we had time to think about and the doctors were talking to and everything else. So um, I think it, it's so helpful. And I love those prompts and journaling on what it is that sparks joy. Um, I can't tell you how many people I work with when I ask them, well, what do you like? What do you enjoy? Especially women even more so have a hard time answering this question. And it's, it's so common and it's, it's really, it's sad, right? It's sad for me. It's sad for them. And so I just think it's so important to, to start to think about that. And I think, you know, writing about it is, is a great way to explore it. Cause I think if you're just thinking about it in your head, it just, it's not very clear, right. Versus writing it down. Yeah, definitely. I, for me personally, pen on paper is just, it's therapeutic <laughs> no matter what I'm, whether I'm following a prompt like in in my journal or in the gratitude journal, or I'm just free writing. If I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of my mind and I can't really sort through it. Even if I think I'm sorting through it in my head, writing it down is an absolute game changer. And some people might not be quite as effective with writing it down, but you could even record a voice memo. Like It's almost like if you don't have someone to talk to, if talking helps you process things, if you don't have someone right there that you can talk to, you can record a voice memo or something like that and and have that there so you can go through that process, that that thinking process in that way. Is your journal designed in a way where you would want people to go back and read it or is it more just to kind of get you thinking or both? You know, it, it's a little bit of both because it's broken up into two different types of prompts and activities. So there's 50% are written in written guided journal prompts, very similar to any type of guided journal that we've been talking about. But then half of it is actually actions that you can take into your life. Like, for example, there's just off the top of my head, if you have trouble saying no, I, I work with people pleasers a lot. So if you have trouble saying no. And I, I actually wanted to talk about that. So yes, I'm so glad we're on the topic. Keep going. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Okay, cool. Um, so if you have trouble saying no, it's a daunting task to start saying it. It's terrifying. You're, you're for, for a number of reasons, you're worried about the other, how the other person's feeling, how they're going to respond, you know, all of these things. One small thing that I believe I have it in the book, but I've also just recommended it to people in the past. One in-person activity that you can do is Next time you're asked if like you want to join a loyalty program or something or give a phone number, plus this is just good practice to do for your privacy anyway, <laughs> um, is is say no to the person in the store. Just like, no, thank you. And that's all. Yeah, it's it's start small in that way. Again, it's it's those small habits. So it's that recommendation of, okay, next time that you are in a store and they ask you, do you want to provide your phone number for something? Or if you want, if they're trying to upsell you on something and you know that's not what you want, if you're accustomed to saying yes, just because you don't want to say no and you feel bad, that's a good place to start that practice of saying no. Oh, I love that, right? Baby steps, because really, yeah. I mean, boundaries are so important, especially when we're dealing with health issues and we only have so much time and so many resources in terms of our energy. And I always tell people, you know, you saying yes to something means you're saying no to something 
something else, right? So you want to make sure you know, but I absolutely hear you. So many people are just completely freaked out about it. And I was there too. So that's really helpful. Another recommendation that you have, which I really, really resonate with so much is the eliminate the shoulds. So can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yes. (laughs) Especially as women, we have a tendency to do what we quote should do. And whether that's based off of other people in our life, maybe family expectations or work expectations, or if you're still in school, like college teaching, you know, any type of expectations or society as a whole, they kind of have this expectation that you should go, I'll just use my my um, situation example. I had the expectation at a job that I previously worked at to move my way up in a way that was like, okay, I was an entry-level person. Then I was like more of a coordinate, a trainer. And then I became like a coordinator lead type position. And that was just because my, it, it was just what I did. You know, it was what I, it, it was the next right thing in quotes, you know? I realized after, as I was just going through this, because it was a habit that I had since I was a teenager, it wasn't actually what I wanted. And the p- position that I ended up with, I didn't really enjoy. And I wish I could have taken a step back in the position I was in before because I just overall enjoyed it more. But it was too late at that point, And I ended up leaving the company. But it's paying attention to the differences, again, who you are, what you want versus what other people want for you and what those expectations or society has for you. Because it's scary. It's harder to do what other people don't expect from you. It's harder. It's scary. And that's where all of this that we've been talking about come in, those that self-care, that confidence, that connecting with your intuition and noticing that along the way. If I was more familiar with what I wanted and what felt good, I probably wouldn't have gone to that next step. Because even in that moment, I was just kind of like, oh, I, I pretty sure my attitude at the time was, okay, I guess so. I'll do it because you guys want me to. That's not a good way to go about life if you want to live a life that's more authentic and aligned with with you, you know, because you're your own, your own unique person. And just because it's not what they expect from you or what they see for you doesn't mean it's wrong. So it's if you ever feel like you're making a decision and it's like, okay, why are you making a decision? Well, it's like, I should do this. If you catch, and it, it's a sneaky word, you know, you, you, you won't notice unless maybe someone points it out or you hear it back. But it's those small things of like, okay, well, no, I should do this. If you hear that word, that's a good red flag to take a step back and realize if it's something you actually want to do. Yeah. And as with everything else, I'm assuming baby steps, right? Because sometimes you may not have a choice initially, but at least just having the recognition that, you know what, that's not what I want. So at least let me see how I can go about it, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely a big one for for a lot of people. And the other, and of course, I feel like we can't finish this interview without talking about this, is perfectionism, because I find that that's an issue for so many people, but especially those with autoimmunity. I mean, my client base, my listener base, so many people have various diseases, but autoimmunity is one of the biggest things, whether it's Hashimoto's, which is thyroid autoimmune, or other autoimmune diseases. It's just, I mean, I see it time and time again. So can you talk a little bit about that? What is perfectionism? Why is it something that can affect us negatively? And then what can we do to start to shift it? Yeah, definitely. So as a recovering perfectionist myself, I can definitely (laughs) relate to the need to be perfect all the time. And so on a basic level, perfectionism is there's a few different aspects of it that, that come into play. But what I've noticed is that 
you know, you have your high achieving a perfectionist where you need to constantly do and achieve something at the best of your ability all of the time, perfectly every single time, or else you're wrong, or else you failed, or else you're not good enough. You know, you have these high expectations for yourself and you need to meet them. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you or you're not enough. And a lot of those times, they're self-inflicted. You know, a, a lot of times they're just expectations you put on yourself, not necessarily what from other people, because a lot of times if you're a perfectionist, your like maintenance mode is already many steps ahead <laughs> of a lot of other people. You know, you're already doing so much more and and performing on, on a much not necessarily better ability. I, I'm I'm not exactly sure the word to say here, but you know, you're already performing at a higher level than than a lot of other people who are not as high achieving and seeking to be the best at absolutely everything they do, you know? And a lot of times perfectionism can also tie into people pleasing. That's why a lot of what I do is people are experiencing the same, like similar things because at least personally and some of my clients, people pleasing is sometimes the root cause of that perfectionism because you want to be perfect for other people because you don't want to disappoint anyone else because you don't want them to think poorly upon you you know you don't want to do anything wrong and disappoint them so that's another piece that really ties in and a lot of these can stem from many different aspects of of your life your history it can come from family it can come from work you know it really depends on your personal situation but having all of these expectations put on yourself all of the time is exhausting. It's, and especially like if you're dealing with symptoms constantly, like expecting yourself and your body to perform at a specific level all the time is just going to make everything harder for you, you know, and, and, and bringing in that self-care, that self-compassion that we were talking before is excellent ways to kind of piece that down and kind of tone it down a little bit because that's all you can really expect right away. You can't just expect, all right, you know, I'm just not going to be a perfectionist anymore. I think it's an ongoing practice like that because our default mode is to be good at everything. And that's just not sustainable, you know? (laughs) So being able to kind of, yeah, be kinder to yourself, kind of like lessen that inner critic we've been talking about, you know, those small steps to kind of take that step back, that having that mentality of done is better than perfect. And it's way easier said than done. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But but I think it is an important uh, mantra, as you call it, for people to know, because I think we hear it, but I think we almost like have to repeat it to ourselves, right? Like done is yeah. better than perfect. Like literally say it slowly because you hear people say it all the time, but it's like, if you actually think about it, like done is better than perfect, right? So it's like, it's done. Like you just have to like say it. So I love that. And I love that you have it in there um, because I need to repeat that to myself three times every day, all the time. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, okay, is it done? Good. Mm-hmm. You're good. That's it nothing else. (laughs) Uh, Well, it has been so helpful to chat with you. And, um, you know, I think this is just such an important topic and it doesn't really get that much attention, you know, about really figuring out what we want, how we want to feel, you know, especially when it comes to health issues, right? Because we sometimes see it in a very linear way, you know, just on the health side, but there's all of these other things. And what I really, really love about your journal is, 
I mean, it's just so packed of information. And, you know, there is like the lesson part, like the things about the shoulds and perfectionism and how you can manage stress and checking in, right? But then we also have all the different prompts. So it's almost like, I feel like you're teaching and then you're also kind of prompting and asking and supporting like all in one. So I really love that. So can you tell everyone where can they pick up the book? Yeah. So the book's called Your Self-Discovery Journal and it is available online. It's going to be available. I believe it's going to be available in Barnes and Noble. Um, so uh, you can find it at Simon and Schuster's website. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, pretty much anywhere books are sold. That's wonderful. And Sarah, for those that want to contact you and want to connect with you, where can they find you? So my website is sarahcatherine.com. That's Sarah with no H, Catherine with a K. And then my Instagram is the social media platform that I hang out with the most. That is at Coach Sarah Catherine. Wonderful. And we'll post all of that in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so much for being here and giving us all of these super valuable insights. I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's been such an excellent conversation. I'm really appreciative that you had me on your show. When it comes to healing, there are so many areas that play a role. The more we can support, typically, the better will be the results. As you just heard, our mindset plays a huge role, and that is where we started with Layla. I worked with Layla on some of her limiting beliefs around healing and what that means, and she had quite a few beliefs about what she was able and not able to do. But as we discovered, it was not really a reality, but a belief. There are many beliefs that we can all acquire, typically very early in life. But what's important to remember is that it's often just a belief and those beliefs are not ours. They're learned from our caretakers or authority figures. It's amazing what our bodies are capable of and how much more we can do when we adapt a mentality that we can and want to rather than that we should or need to or have to. We also worked on appreciating her blessings She was so focused on what was wrong, she didn't see what was actually right. There's a lot we can accomplish with gratitude, and we worked on various exercises for that. Layla and I also worked on connecting her with her own body, through feeling more than thinking, and I designed a set of exercises for her to practice daily to continue to grow and improve this connection. She never realized how much she can actually feel in her body and how much she was able to move and shift her own energy until she tried. Doing all of this really raised her mood and energy and skyrocketed her motivation. She was able to see that she is much more in charge than she ever realized and everything just flowed better. As that happened, we started to support her biochemistry a bit further. She was already on a restricted diet and many, many supplements and medications, so we didn't add anything to start, but instead started to look and see what we can take away. Now, I know this sounds weird, but sometimes the body can get overwhelmed with too many things. So when it came to foods, we actually tried to add in a few foods because she was so restricted, and we tried to add in more a variety of different vegetables and other plant fibers to help to diversify her microbiome. And when we looked at supplements, she was on a lot of wonderful things, but it was so many things. And the supplements were supporting her liver and her kidneys and her colon and antioxidants and thyroid and adrenals. And it was just so much stuff. I think she was taking 27 vitamins. And so looking at all of that, we went through and saw what were the most important ones 
and we pick those. And then we took a break from some of the other ones that she was on for a while. So instead of supporting all of her organs at the same time, we started to work from the top and then down from there. Also, I ran some new blood work and saw that while her thyroid was being supported with Synthroid, which is a medication that she's been on for many, many years, she was never really evaluated for thyroid type. And so when I looked at that, I figured out that she was actually the unavailable hormones thyroid type. And by the way, thyroid types is what I talk about in my Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism step-by-step program. And so she was the unavailable hormones type, which means that even though she was getting her thyroid hormone from the medication, her body wasn't actually using it very well and it wasn't as available. And so we worked on supporting this type. This way, the medication that she was taking plus whatever her own thyroid was still putting out was actually being absorbed and used by her body. Six months into our working together, Layla really started to notice changes. Her energy was better, her sleep was better, her aches and pains were much improved, and overall she just had a better outlook on life. She was able to go out and do things. She was able to see friends. She was able to go out to eat without worrying about what she will order. She was just able to have a normal life, as she calls it. She was so happy, and of course, so was I. If Layla sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them. And please be sure that you're subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying these shows, can you please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? Those reviews really help to bring the show up in the ranks so that more people can see this valuable information. I so appreciate it if you can take a few minutes and leave a review. And remember, as always, when it comes to your health issues, please, please don't give up. Please remember the answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mysteries Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.